0: Prayer, blessing for them. We have people like Jace and Charles and Sean and Scotty who have served in the military. There may be others who have served in the military that I don't know about. You may be watching online and you've served in the military. So I just wanted to take a minute and thank you. Jesus said, There is no greater love than this. To lay down your life for someone else. And soldiers put their life on the line for other people. So thank you for your service let's just pray and thank god for the people who put their life on the line for others whether that's policemen or firemen or soldiers we appreciate those who sacrifice their well-being for others jesus first of all we want to thank you for putting your life on the line to rescue all of us thank you for coming and dying and lord thank you for the men and women who live sacrificial lives of service whether that's in the military or whether that's First responders, God, we are so grateful for the people who bravely step up and stand out for other people. Lord, thank you for the the men and the women in our church and our online community who have put their life in harm's way for the good of others. And God, I pray that you would just bless them, encourage them, let them know that they are loved and that their sacrifices have not been in vain, but they are valued and appreciated. And God, I pray today that as we come and open up your word and we read about how you lived and loved lord i pray that you will move in our hearts and our minds that we will know that you are alive and well and you are at work god i pray that we don't get more information for our heads but you truly stir our spirits that you move inside of us that you remind us that you're a living god and you're still at work in our world and that starts in us and i pray all these things i believe jesus christ would Have you ever had somebody tell you something and you're like, that's really good news. I'm glad you said that. And then later on you find out, well, what they said wasn't actually true. Like maybe somebody told you, I love you. And you're like, yes, they said it. I'm so happy. But later on you find out, oh, they didn't say that. They just said that so they could get something. Or maybe somebody told you, like, I stopped gambling, and you're like, yes, that's good news, or I stopped taking this illegal substance or overindulging in this substance that's been leading to my life being more difficult, and you say, that's great, and then later on you find out they lied about it. And like it sounded like good news, but later on when you found out that it wasn't true, everything that you thought was good turned to ash. I'd rather have a hard truth to swallow than someone tell me a pleasant lie that I find out later wasn't good at all because it wasn't true. And some churches and some religions end up telling us exactly that. They tell us a pleasant lie rather than a hard truth. They tell us what we want to hear so that we attend and behave and give. And so they say things that we want to hear so they can get something from us. Sometimes people tell us what we want to hear so we give them what they want. In Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9, Paul had started a church in Galatia, in this region of Galatia, and he he had started several churches, and he was writing this letter back to them because he heard something about them. And he said this, I'm astonished that you so quickly deserted the one who called you to live in the grace of Jesus Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. You're turning to a different good news, which he says is really not good news at all. Uh, Evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the good news of Jesus He says this but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach any other good news than what we originally preached to you Let them be cursed by God And we have already said and now I say again if anyone is preaching to you a good news Other than what we first told you to accept let them be under God's curse just 20 years after Jesus walked on this earth and lived and died and rose again there were people who were creating false gospels there were people who were saying this is what the good news of jesus is and they made it up and now two thousand years later there are still false gospels here's some of them this isn't all the false gospels out there but maybe you've heard some of these the gospel the false gospel of cheap grace i've heard this a lot when i was down in the south the gospel gets you to heaven, so do whatever you want on earth. Live however you want. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. Do whatever you want. Have a good time, because you're going to heaven no matter what. Cheap grace. There's a prosperity gospel. It's a gospel that says, like, hey, come to Jesus. He'll give you money. If you become a student of the way Jesus lived and loved, you'll get rich. I got, man, I, that gets my attention. I'm like, I'd like to be rich. Or they say something like this become a student of jesus you'll never be sick you don't want cancer become a student of jesus you won't get cancer the only problem with it that sounds like really great news is people who love jesus get cancer people who love jesus don't always have money and what they say to that is well you didn't have enough faith so not only are you going through something hard but it's your fault because you didn't believe enough or maybe you've heard the gospel of exclusion that says the gospel the good news is only for some people God, when he was creating the world, created some people to love and some people to hate and some people are in and some people are out and God just made the gospel for the special people and some of you just aren't special, so sorry. These are some of the false gospels in our world today. And when I first started writing this sermon, I was gonna take all the false gospels I could think of today and I was gonna pick them apart and explain why they're not good and why they don't actually reflect the good news of Jesus Christ. And then I remembered what a friend of mine told me a few years ago. He was working at a bank. He was a bank teller. And uh, I was asking him about his job. And I said, so how do you identify counterfeit bills? I've always been fascinated by that. Like, what do you do? And I said, you know, like, what do you look for in a counterfeit bill? He says, Alex, they never teach us to look at the fake bills. He says, because the fakes change all the time. He says, what they teach us is to look for the components and the elements and the real bill. And so he started walking me through some of these things like the strip that goes through the, the middle. Some of the older bills, it's inside, but when you hold it up to the light, you can see the strip in it. He also talked about the watermark. And he says, we look for the elements that are found in the real bills. And then he says, we automatically, because we know the real bills so well, when we see a, a fake, we automatically know it's not a real bill. So I started thinking about that, and I realized what we, what we don't need to do is study the fakes. What we need to do is study the real gospel, understand the good news so well that we can instantly recognize a fake. We can say, wait a minute, where's the watermark in this? Wait a minute, where's the script in this? Where's the color change in this, um, in this gospel? If we know the real gospel better, we'll recognize the fakes more easily. See, most of the time, a false gospel sounds good, and it's just suddenly different than the real gospel. But the more intimately we know and experience the real gospel, the real good news of Jesus, we will be able to subconsciously reject the false gospels we encounter. We need to know the real gospel so well, we can instantly spot a fake. There is only one gospel, only one good news, and the good news of Jesus is costly. And I think this is an essential element, an essential component of the real gospel that we need to understand. It's costly, but it's worth the cost. And Jesus talked about this in Mark chapter eight, verses 34 through 38. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, remember the word disciple means a student of the way that I lived and loved, must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me, and for the gospel, for the good news, will save it. What good is it if you gain the whole world, yet you forfeit your soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Uh, Do you remember that movie, uh, The Princess Bride? I love that movie. Justin hates that movie. This is the one rare time when I was like, Justin, you're wrong about something. Justin's never wrong about something. But he was super, well, Chelsea might say differently. But in my opinion, this is the first time I've seen Justin ever be wrong about something. Princess Bride is amazing. He fell asleep. But it is just so quotable. You can take any line from that movie, and it's an instant gift. You know, like you can use it all the time. There's this great line in there where he says to um, Buttercup, who he's rescuing slash kidnapping, he says, life is hard, Highness. Anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to sell you something. You know, what do marketers say? Life could be easy if you have this. Life could be good if you have this. Jesus isn't trying to sell us. That's something I I love about Jesus. That's something I love about the gospel. He says really clearly here, he says, if you're going to accept the gospel, if you're going to embrace it, if you're going to live it, if you're going to become a student of the way that I lived and loved, it might cost you something. He says, it won't just might cost you something, it will cost you something. It'll cost you your life. See, the real gospel doesn't try to manipulate us or coerce us. It doesn't have hidden fees. It's upfront about the cost. Have you ever signed up for something and like the the fine print is like pages long? And then after you get your first bill, you're like, what's all these extra charges, Verizon? What are you doing? Like you said it was going to be $39.99 a month and now it's $155 a month. Like what happened? And they're like, well, there was a surcharge in a activation charge there was a secondary charge to the first surcharge and a state tax and you're like what in the world Jesus is upfront about the cost he says the gospel is gonna cost you and if you hear about a gospel that claims to be the gospel of Jesus and they say there's no cost that's a warning sign that it might be a false gospel in Luke chapter 14 Jesus starts telling these stories he says if you're a general and you're about to go to war You're going to see how many soldiers you have and to see if you have enough troops to take the opposing army. He says, You're going to count the cost. He says, If you're building a house, you're going to see how much it's going to cost so you don't run out of money halfway. There was a house next door to my parents in Tennessee, and they started building it and they ran out of money halfway through and it sat half completed for several years. Until someone else came through, bought it, had the financial backing, and actually finished the home. And Jesus says, You should count the cost before you become a student of the way he lived and loved. He says the gospel will cost you your life. And so he says, count the cost. He says, if you're not willing to pay, don't become a father. Don't embrace the gospel. Jesus says, if you're going to be a student of the way that I lived and loved, you need to take up your cross. What a weird thing to say. He gathered this crowd of Jewish people here, and he says, hey, if you want to be a student of the way that I'm living and loving, I'm a rabbi, I'm teaching you a way of life based on these scriptures, if you're going to be a student of that lifestyle, you need to start by taking up your cross. You need to deny yourself and follow in my life. Now, when Jesus said this, the cross was not a religious symbol at this time. Jesus hadn't died on a cross yet. No one looked at a cross and was like, oh, pretty. We should put that in our house. Like, look at that wood-carved cross. That's nice. We should hang that over the mantle. Nobody was getting cross tattoos. Nobody was wearing cross necklaces or cross bracelets. The cross was not a pretty symbol to put into your home. No one painted a cross and then put a Bible verse on it and said, oh, we should hang that up. Like, no one did that. The cross wasn't a religious symbol. It was a death symbol. It was a symbol of the roman empire it was the most horrific execution tool in the roman army's arsenal and so when he said this the jewish people bristled at the thought of taking up their cross this was not something pleasant this wasn't like a oh you know he wants us to take up our cross this was like all of a sudden they were on edge maybe we could catch some of the extreme nature of what he's saying if i rephrased it like this Whoever wants to be a student of the way that Jesus lived and loved must sit in an electric chair every day to follow in His footsteps. That has a different tone, doesn't it? Like a cross has lost that element of death to us. But that's essentially what Jesus is saying: like, take a lethal injection every day if you're going to follow in my footsteps. Now, what is Jesus saying? Jesus was both predicting his own death, but he was also preparing his followers for the reality of the gospel. The gospel is the story of the death of God. The gospel is a story about how God would die for you. He loves you so much, he would die for you. What's the picture that comes into your mind when you think about God? That's the most important question any human being can ask. And there's a lot of people who sit in churches each week and have a horrible picture of what God is like. What is God like? God is like Jesus. Jesus said, "If you have seen me, you have seen the Father." What is God like? God is willing to die for you. He loves you. So Jesus was both predicting his own death, but he was also telling us that the good news is that on the other side of the on the other side of death, the story doesn't end. Death isn't the end of the story. Death is just the beginning of a better story. So what does Jesus want us to do? Like, so we read this passage, you say, okay, Alex, I get it. This was a controversial statement for Jesus to make, but he tells us to take up our cross. I remember um, there was this one professor in seminary. He was like, take every passage in the Bible literally. I mean, is that what Jesus is saying right here? Is he saying that we should go and get a wooden cross and we should just start, like, walking around with it? You know, have you seen Philly Jesus, downtown Philadelphia? He wanders around with a wooden cross. He got arrested a few, uh, probably about a year ago, because he went into an Apple store in downtown Philly to check an email, and he took in the wooden cross, and they're like, sir, you can't bring that in, here. are blocking the out. And he's like, I take my cross everywhere I go. And so he dragged his cross in, and so they had to detain him and take him outside, because he dragged his cross around. I've seen him, I've been down at Rittenhouse Square, um, doing some touristy things with some people out of town, and he was down there preaching, wandering around with his cross, dressed in robes, Philly Jesus. He's also on Twitter, surprisingly active. And um, so anyways, is that what Jesus is saying? Like, does he want us to walk into work and be like, hey Steve, Mondays, right? You know, you're just walking around with your cross, or walk into your, your college class, and your professor's like, uh, what's up with you? Did you do your paper? No, but I got my cross with me. You know, like, is that what Jesus is saying? Like, he wants us to drag a wooden cross around. When I was in Tennessee, there was a guy, and he had a big wooden cross, and he would walk up and down the highway with it. But he had wheels on the back of it, because I guess he got tired after a while of dragging it. So there it was like bicycle wheels back here, and he's walking up and down the highway with it. Is that what Jesus wanted? Is that what he's talking about? Obviously, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. So what is Jesus talking about? What does it mean to pick up your cross? You aren't ready to live and love like Jesus until you're ready to die to the way you have been living and loving. The gospel demands all of you. Good news can be costly. You say, wait a minute, Alex. Good things aren't costly. Sure they are. Good things are costly all the time. Darby and I are adopting. We're thrilled about that. That is not just good news. That is great news. We're so excited about that. But let me tell you, it's costly. It costs us about $15,000 up to this point, and it's gonna cost us another $15,000 until we hold that baby in our arms. That's costly. That's a lot of money, but it's worth the cost. Sometimes good things are costly. A wedding, weddings are good news, right? There's people who wait their whole life like, I can't wait for my wedding. But let me tell you this, weddings are costly. I know some people 10 years into their marriage who are still paying off their wedding. Moving to a new city might be exciting. It might be your dream city, but it's costly. Your dream home is going to be costly. Your education, good news, you got to go into the school you wanted, it's going to be costly. But they are worth the cost. And that's exactly what Jesus said. He said gaining the whole world is not as valuable as experiencing the good news. The most valuable thing you have is your life. And he said the gospel is worth your life. A gospel that doesn't cost you anything is a false gospel. And you say, wait a minute, Alex. Are you saying that we earn the good news from Jesus, that we earn salvation from Jesus? Are you saying that somehow we make this deal with God and we have to, uh, like, give our life and so then he trades us this goodness from him? Jesus made it very clear, you can't earn the good news. If we could earn it, he didn't need to come and die. He'd just be like, hey, start earning it. Get on it, you know? He earned it for us on the cross, but he made it clear that the gospel would be costly if we took the free gift that he paid for us. You say, wait a minute, how can something free to us also cost us something? Justin, several times, repeatedly, like, we'll be talking, and he kind of glances at my stomach. He doesn't make it real obvious, but he's like, you're getting fat. I mean, he doesn't say that, but it's obvious, that's what he's thinking. And here's what he said to me several times. Here's what he said several times. He goes, can I buy you a year membership to the gym? I'll buy you a year membership to the gym. And I'm like, that's so nice of you. And I keep saying, no, it's a free membership. Why wouldn't I take it? Cause I know if I take that free membership, it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me time. It's going to cost me sweat. Is it going to be good news? Is it going to be better for me? Is it going to be better for my health? Better for my life? Better for my marriage? Better for everything? Yes. But I keep saying no to this free gift because I know that free gift will end up costing me something. The gospel is the exact same way. Jesus offers you a free gift. Come embrace the presence of God. Live in the presence of God so that you can live and love like I do. But we know that will cost us our own life if we accept that free gift. The good news of Jesus will cost you your life, but the good news is his life a better life in you you are dying to the familiar to live the good news a new life see the gospel isn't something we just intellectually understand and affirm to it's something that we carry into our everyday lives it's a cross you pick up every day the good news is lived by dying darby keeps saying this really weird thing she's like when i die i'm like don't come We all know the way I eat and the fact that I don't accept free gym memberships, I'm gonna die first. Um, But Darby says, when I die, I don't wanna be cremated. I don't wanna be buried. I wanna be a tree pot. I'm like, what in the world is a tree pot? And so she saw this thing online where they essentially plant a tree in your dead body so this tree grows out of your corpse. And so people can come and visit that tree and be like, that's where mom's buried. That's where grandma's buried, and there's a tree there that grows out of your body in your life. It's a better use of, you know, resources. It's environmentally friendly. As weird as that might sound to us, spiritually, that's exactly what the good news says. Out of the carcass of your old life, Jesus wants to birth a new life. In John 3, 3, he said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. When we die to the way we want to live and love and become a student of the way Jesus lived and loved, we pick up the cross and we carry it into our workplaces, into our communities, and into our schools. See, a false gospel promises something like money, like, hey, serve Jesus, might get money. Serve Jesus, you might get help. Serve Jesus, you might have that perfect, happy American family. But the true gospel promises a false gospel ultimately disappoints because it isn't real. A true gospel, man, I've said gospel so many times I can't even say it anymore. A true gospel actually satisfies because it's the only way to experience the abundant life of Jesus. I believe that Jesus lived the greatest human life of anyone who's ever lived. And he invites us to live his life by accepting his false gospel says we can add jesus to our lives and he's going to make our lives a little better a true gospel says there's nothing salvageable in our life and he's going to completely demolish and rebuild a new life his life in its place here's what c.s lewis said imagine yourself as a living house And God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not really surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts horribly and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is God up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting on an extra floor there. He's running up towers. He's making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. Oh, no. He is building a palace. And Jesus intends to come and live in that palace himself. See, a lot of times we say, hey, I'll just add a little God on make my life better. And Jesus says, I want you to die because I want to live my life through When we carry the gospel into our everyday lives, what does that look like? It's not physically carrying a cross into our everyday workplaces and communities and homes and schools, but what does it look like to carry the gospel with us? To not just say, I believe that, that sounds right, but to actually live it out everywhere we go. Remember at the beginning of this series I said, the gospel can be summed up as three things. Grace, Jesus, relationships. So how does that carry into our everyday conversations? How does that uh, carry into our everyday relationships? Here are some ways that I think it does. First of all, grace. Grace is God did not give us what we deserved. Instead, he came and died in our place, so that we could live the life that he lived. So we need to give people good when they deserve bad. We need to give generously like God has generously given to us above and beyond what people deserve. Give generously of our time to people, give generously of our resources to people, to love people generously. Second of all, I think carrying the gospel into our lives means living and loving like Jesus because living and loving like Jesus is the best life any human can live. We enjoy the presence of God when we practice the life that Jesus lived and by teaching others to live and love like Jesus, their lives can radically And finally the gospel is about relationships jesus came to restore the relationship between god and man and if we're going to carry the gospel into our homes and community and world then we need to restore the relationship between broken people if we see a brokenness between human beings we need to say as carriers of the gospel as ambassadors of the good news of jesus how can we be about reconciling that brokenness If there's a brokenness over race, if there's a brokenness over marriage, if there's a brokenness between two people we go to school with or we go to work with or in our community, how can we be the bridge like Jesus was between broken and hurting people? We must carry the gospel with us everywhere we go. And that starts by saying, today, I'm not going to live my life, but I'm going to let you live your life through me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the good news. And the good news is costly. This is not the life I envision for myself. But the life I envision, the life that I long to live, is a life that ultimately doesn't satisfy. Some of the people in our world who have the most things, they have the most money or the most fame or the most education are some of the most miserable people. And I think the most satisfying life to live is a life where we live out the good news of Jesus Christ, where we live in love like you, where we reconcile broken relationships, where we show people grace. God, will you make the gospel not something that we believe in our heads, but something that we live in our everyday lives? And I pray all these things like I believe Jesus.